Now, the second reason why we're doing this series is the most important reason. It's necessary to do this. It's necessary because the more you know about the crisis we are facing today, the better that you can be involved in helping solve it. Now, did you know that we have a crisis on our hands? How many, how many did not know that? That there's a crisis going on? Well, here it is. The crisis is this. There is a noticeable trend in the church today of unknowingly reverting back to the status of the pre-Reformation era. Countless believers are uninformed, misinformed, indifferent, and uneducated about how much has been sacrificed to bring us where we are today. Brothers and sisters, if we allow ourselves and the people we love to remain in ignorance or in cold indifference with regard to the Reformation, then history is bound to repeat itself. And we see it unfolding before us at this time. And I know that if you know anything at all about the spiritual climate of the medieval church, you do not want this crisis to keep on unfolding, right? So, the way or the specific method that I want to teach you more in depth about the Reformation is via an expositional defense. Keyword, expositional. Right? That implies that I'm going to show you from Scripture what I'm about to teach you. Amen? I am going to show you via an expositional defense of what is commonly known as the five solas of the Reformation, which are five Latin slogans, five pleas, five expressions, five credos that capture the sum, the essence, and the spirit of the Reformation. They are sola scriptura, scripture alone, which emphasizes that the Bible alone is the primary, ultimate standard for Christians. Not popes, not councils, not tradition. Sola fide, number two. Faith alone. And emphasizes that salvation is a free gift to all who acquire it by faith alone. Not by something that can be earned by sacrament or charity. Then there is sola gratia, grace alone. That emphasizes the divine, sovereign grace as the cause and the sole reason for our salvation. Not our own volition, not own religiosity, not any contribution that we can give to the finished work of Christ. Then there's still Christus. Christ alone. And that emphasizes Christ, the Lord Jesus in salvation as the sole mediator and intercessor. Not the clergy. Then, of course, the crown, the pinnacle, the summit of the Reformation, 
Soli Deo Gloria. To the glory of God alone. That emphasizes the glory of God as the goal of life rather than striving to please church leaders, keep a list of rules, or to guard our own interests. SDG. The goal of life. So, the the Protestant Reformation rediscovered these priceless truths and offered them as a strong correction to the practices and beliefs of the time. And listen, they are 100% relevant today. Right now, we are the most relevant church in town because we need to learn these right now. And this morning, we're going to begin this journey in the solas through a message on sola scriptura. There are many texts that we could go to to defend the truth of scripture alone. We could go to Mark 7, but that would not be good because I'm preaching through Mark and I'm going to get to that in a few months, give or take. Or I could go to its parallel passage in Matthew, but again, that would be repetitive. I could go to 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. I could go to several other New Testament or even Old Testament passages to defend the truth of Sola Scriptura. All of those texts and more are pure gold and sufficient to defend this truth. But since we believe that God is sovereign, those texts are not what God would have you hear this Lord's Day. The text that leapt out in my mind to exposit today is 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Let's read that together. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate Equipped for every good work. The text I just read provides three propositional truths with regard to the nature of Scripture. Three propositional truths with regard to the nature of Scripture. If we understand these truths deeply, then we will continue to stand upon the immovable immovable foundation of Sola Scriptura. And we will not be persuaded now or in the future to elevate any other standard to the same level. The scripture alone is God-breathed. Scripture alone is useful. And the scripture alone is sufficient. Therefore, we need no other standard to judge all doctrine and practice. Amen? And if you believe that, then you will and can and should cry with confidence, sola scriptura. So let's consider this first propositional truth found in 1 Timothy 3. Scripture alone is God-breathed. I have a PowerPoint for you this morning, just because I would prefer you to get these down. 
memorize them or write them down. I don't use PowerPoint that often because my professor said that if you can't preach, use PowerPoint. But for today, I really want you to get this outline down because it's clear and it will help you long term. Okay, so go ahead and put the... ...is writing, right? So a biography is a writing about a life. The verb form grapho is to write. And it's used in other contexts to refer to carving out or engraving letters on a tablet. So understand that in this context, even though it's translated as scripture, it literally simply means writings. What makes the Holy Scripture sacred and authoritative is its author. Not, not, not the book itself, right? We don't, we don't worship the book. We worship the author of the book. And we will get to that later in a moment. When I had my first Bible class in college, my professor stood in front of us and he said, listen, we don't worship this. He went on to tell us that when he was in seminary, his professor threw this across the room. And you can imagine, to some old Baptists, that would be offensive. But he did it because he wants his people to understand, we don't worship the book. We worship the author of the book. Scripture simply means writings. It's a copy of something that was written down. We don't worship it. And so I want you to understand, too, the meaning of this qualifier that Paul uses, all. All scripture, meaning every part of the whole and all of it together. Now, considering the context in, in its usage here, Timothy was commenting on the Old Testament, right? Because the New Testament canon had not been completed. However, Scripture became the common label for all of God's Word in the early church. Not only for the Old Testament, but also for God's newly revealed Word, the New Testament. So what you need to clearly understand is that Scripture simply means writing. And the thing that makes Scripture so unique and so special and so priceless is what Paul claims about it next. Look at verse 16 again. All of the writings is inspired by God. That's the key word. That word rendered inspired is a very significant theological term. The doctrine of inspiration is vital and it's primary to the Christian faith. Without a proper understanding and honest affirmation of it, we have no ground to stand on. And our faith, as I said before, is a historic faith. Our faith has been put down in writing. We can trust what's been written because we know that it has been inspired by God. So those four English words that you see in your NASB comes from one 
compound word in the original. Theopneustos. From God, theos, you know that. And from neo, to breathe. So literally, it's breathed out by God, or simply God breathe. And so if you have a NIV or an ESV, you take the cake today. Because God breathed is the original translation, the literal translation. The NAS, along with the Holman, the NLT, and the New King James, they all say inspired. But God breathed is the most precise. God has chosen to reveal, to preserve, and to protect the gospel through his own breath. He did this by way of breathing words into the instruments of human writers to be recorded. To put it another way, God divinely superintended the accurate recording of his divinely breathed out truth by his divinely chosen men. That's the doctrine of inspiration. So it's very important to understand that the Bible is not just a collection of wisdom and insights of men. It is God's truth. His own word in his own words. We also need to understand that when we say inspired, we are not in any way saying that the men who wrote the Bible were merely encouraged or stimulated or excited or exhilarated. Because that's how we use the term today, don't we? When we say something like, man, that speech really inspired me today. We're saying that it motivated us to do something, right? So we have to be careful not to confuse our contemporary English word with the Bible's word, inspired. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 sheds more light on this concept of biblical inspiration. It says this, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. In other words, what Peter was saying? The men were passive. And God was active. The men were the pen. And God was the hand and the mind. Now, before I can move on, I want to ensure that I am being as clear and precise as I can be at this moment. What Paul meant when he said, all writing is God breathed, is this. Scripture is from God. And therefore, it is his self-revelation to mankind. Think of the implications of that. From Genesis to Revelation, God revealed exactly what he wanted to reveal, when he wanted to reveal it, through whom he wanted to reveal it, and for the purpose he wanted to reveal it. Scripture is no more and no less writing about his truth, his character, his attributes, and his divine plan for the redemption of man. It says God is good. He cannot lie, can he? If he cannot lie, 
We can trust his word. Put down into human words that have meaning. This is why expository preaching is so vital to life of the church. If this is God's word, and he put it down in writing, then that demands that we analyze each word to find out what it means. So, what does this have to do with Sola Scriptura? I'm so glad you asked that question. The the propositional truth that all Scripture is God-breathed means no other writing is to be viewed as possessing the same level of authority. Tradition is not God-breathed. Therefore, it is to be eternally subject and tested by the measuring rod of the 66 books of the Bible. Because it is the only God-breathed source in existence. And you have to embrace something. The Reformation recovered this truth. In a day when the Pope and the Church wielded their fallible words like it was the final judgment. But the Reformers came along and to the study of Scripture, learned that it's God's Word that is inspired. God breathed. Because of that truth, all men, including popes and church councils, must submit to Scripture alone. Where men contradict the writings, Scripture wins. No questions asked. So we who are here today must stand on the shoulders of those men who rose up against spiritual tyranny. Not with violence, but with the spiritual weapon of God's own word. We are to ensure that our generation and a generation to come after us does not revert back to where the church was 500 years ago. We all must remain 100% committed to the theology Revealed in Sola Scriptura. Brothers and sisters, it's not enough to say, I believe the Bible. It's not enough. If that's all you say, then you leave yourself open to profess, I trust the Bible and my church's tradition. I trust the Bible and my own personal intuitions. I trust the Bible and... The Book of Mormon sounds good to me. I trust the Bible and the Catechism. If you do not say with confidence and zeal and conviction, I believe that Scripture alone informs my thinking and binds my conscience, then you are on the slippery slope back to the pre-Reformation era. And sadly, some have already arrived there. So do you understand how important it is to understand that the Scripture alone is God-breathed? The second propositional truth found in this text with regard to the nature of Scripture is this. 
The Scripture alone is useful. The Scripture alone is useful. The rest of 16. Paul goes on to say, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. It's profitable. It's useful. It's advantageous. It's helpful. It's beneficial. It's productive. What Paul is saying here is that Scripture is useful in being comprehensively useful. Comprehensively useful, unlike anything else. And therefore, nothing else is needed to aid us in the gospel or in day-to-day living. Now, I want to emphasize needed. I want to emphasize nothing else is needed. If all we had the Bible, if that's all we had was the Bible, then it would be totally useful and helpful in every area of our life, right? If, all we, if, if we were sent on an island and all we had had was a copy of the Bible, we'd be fine, right? But I do want to say, to be clear, this scripture, this, this passage, and I'm not saying that creeds, confessions, catechisms, books written by human authors are not helpful. That's not what we should walk away with. That's not what I'm trying to say. Many indeed are. Very helpful, right? But all of those things are not helpful for everything. Right? Historic confessions like the Westminster or the London Baptist and doctrinal statements provide a written standard in order to provide a basis for unity among certain groups of people according to an interpretation of Scripture. Do you know that's all all that is? A creed, a confession, a doctrinal statement, it's simply the Bible as someone interprets it. And that's good. It creates unity. Because the fact of the matter is, fallible men interpret the Bible differently. So creeds and confessions are useful. But they're not comprehensively useful. For example, when the women start begin start to uh, they begin their study of the excellent wife next week, they're going to be encouraged. They're going to be instructed, and they will be blessed, and their husbands will be blessed, and other people observing your marriage will be blessed. If all we had was the excellent wife, we'd be in a world of hurt. Learning how to be a godly wife is just one small component of the Christian life. In fact, the excellent wife would be worthless if we didn't understand the gospel. Right? It would be worthless if we didn't understand so many other things. So, what I'm saying is that the scripture is useful comprehensively like nothing else is. Systematic theology books. They help us. They help us get deeper into a specific area of the Christian life tremendously. But it's not comprehensive. It's not inspired. It's a tool. And so they cannot be compared to Scripture. 
So Paul, again, is not saying don't read books and don't write creeds and confessions. He's saying this. God's inspired word is comprehensively useful. And the remainder of verse 16, Paul declares that Scripture is comprehensively useful in four important ways. Okay, are you still tracking with me? I'm, I'm trying not to lose you. This is important. Four ways that the Scripture is comprehensively useful. The first way is for teaching. Look at verse 16. Teaching. The scripture is profitable for teaching. Didascalia. It comes from, we get the English word doctrine from that word. And here in the present context, it refers specifically um, and exclusively to instruction, giving to believers through God's word. Again, Timothy and his audience learned Jewish doctrine from the Hebrew scriptures. But listen to this. Who else gave Paul the Daskalia doctrine? The Holy Spirit gave Paul doctrine, teaching. Whom did the twelve apostles learn doctrine from? The Lord Jesus. Where do we get our doctrine from? Sola Scriptura. The reality is that there are many lazy and embittered and Prideful and misinformed people that go around being content with knowing very little. And that is absolutely tragic. Absolutely tragic. Because one of the four primary ways that Scripture is intended to be used for is to learn Christian doctrine. So, brothers and sisters, is that how you view Scripture? As, as, as being helpful to learn doctrine and theology? Did you know that that's what Scripture was written for? I don't think it's any accident that, that Paul wrote doctrine first in this list of ways that Scripture is useful. Because that's where we start. We start with doctrine. Learning true indicative statements regarding the doctrine of the gospel. Regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of man. The doctrine of the church. And many other areas of biblical doctrine. If we have our doctrine wrong, or if it's shallow, then we are standing on a sandy foundation. If you're going to stand on Christ, the solid rock, then you have to stand on Christ's doctrine. Go to the scripture and learn doctrine. It's the first primary way scripture is comprehensively useful for. The second way is for reproof. We're still in verse 16, for reproof. In the New Testament, it means to convict. And now listen to this. This is what I discovered. I did not know this. Listen, this, this, is, this is insightful. The Greek word reproof means to prove one in the wrong and thus to shame. It carries the idea of being inwardly convicted in order to prove 
false doctrine. So in other words, one of the ways that Scripture is used for is to refute our thinking. As with teaching, the Scripture's work of reproof has to do with equipping believers with accurate knowledge of divine truth that, number one, exposes falsehood and sin, and number two, exposes erroneous belief. Now, I want to be clear here and say, notice that this is the Scripture's role. There's a time for me and a fellow believers to correct you. But what this is talking about in this text, it's primarily the Scripture's job, the Scripture's work, the Scripture's use to reprove you. We can't go around reproving each other all the time unless we're certain that God's truth is being undermined or violated. If God's truth is not being undermined or violated, the Bible says that we should bear with one another. Let love cover a multitude of sins. Be patient with one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. So I want to emphasize that it's the Scripture's job to reprove us. Let the Scripture shame us. Let the Scripture reprove us. Reprove us. And so with that said, we all need to allow God's written word to radically and severely change our thinking. It may be by means of preaching and teaching. It may be by means of simply reading the Bible. It also could be by the means of a brother or sister confronting you in the spirit of gentleness and restoration. But understand that one primary way that the Scripture is comprehensively useful... Are you getting sick of me saying that yet? (laughs) I want to drill it into your mind. Comprehensively useful. It's useful for reproof, for doctrine. Third, it's useful for correction. There's a difference here. Correction is slightly different than reproof. Here the word is used, and this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. And it refers to restoring something to its original condition. So the first two are negative. Use the Scripture to learn doctrine, to get right theology. Use the Scripture to reprove your bad theology. And number three, the Scripture will now build you back up. In secular Greek, this word was used of setting upright an uh, an object that had been fallen down. Or helping a person that has fallen back on their feet. And so as you have experienced the heart-wrenching conviction of being reproved through Scripture, you may have felt perhaps a little deflated or discouraged due to the shame of being wrong. Have you ever felt that? Maybe it's been a while for some of us. Like maybe for some of you younger folks, like me, I can remember so clearly when I came to embrace the doctrines of grace. 
When I embraced the doctrines of grace and I saw the truthfulness of them, I experienced the shame of being woefully in error. But then the more I came to understand the truth of God's supreme sovereignty, I began to experience unspeakable joy and solace. Can anybody relate? It's because Scripture brings us correct beliefs. It builds us back up through its divine correction. Correction, therefore, is Scripture's positive provision for those who accept its negative reproof. Let me repeat that. Correction is Scripture's positive provision for those who accept its negative reproof. Picture an old house that's jagged and crooked. And it needs to be just bulldozed to the ground. You can't salvage it. So you need to bulldoze to the ground and make room for a new house. For some of you, that's what some of your theology is like. It needs to be bulldozed to the ground. And when that happens, via biblical reproof, God doesn't leave you there. God doesn't leave us in shambles when the scripture corrects us. As like the demolished house is scooped up and hauled away to the dump, so is our wrong thinking. And as a new, sturdy, beautiful looking house is erected, so becomes your right thinking. Isn't that amazing? Praise God for his word. Without it, our thinking would be so far off in every direction. Without it, we would be lost. Without it, we would be divided. I mean, we, we, we marvel and we grieve at the division we see right now, don't we? And I'm not talking politics. I'm not going there. I'm talking about in the church. Often I get asked, chaplain, pastor, why are there so many denominations? Why do Christians always fight each other? It's sad. It happens. And we have to own it. And we have to not do that. But can you imagine how much more division there would be without the Scripture? We'd be lost. Without Scripture alone, we would be enslaved to false systems. Without Scripture alone, we would be attracted to human tradition and paganism. The Scripture is useful for teaching, for reproof and correction. And the fourth way Scripture is comprehensively useful is for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. Now this is interesting because the Greek word for training had the original meaning of bringing up and training a child. Padilla. You guys like Star Wars? Now I got your attention, right? So you know how the Jedi would call the Jedi in training Padawan. Comes from the Greek Padilla. A young apprentice. A young child who's in need of training. 
So here it refers to the Christian needing to be trained in godly behavior. His word will continue to train us until he comes. Did you know that there are over a thousand commands in the New Testament for us to obey? A thousand. How many could name 20? We couldn't. And so we need to continue to train ourselves and be trained. Just as a child needs to be taught what is right from the time they can communicate until they reach adulthood. And for some people, well into adulthood, right? We, too, need to be taught what is godly. We, too, need to be trained to be like Christ, to grow up in our salvation. Do you recall what the Bible addresses Christians as? Children. Jesus himself addressed his disciples who were grown, middle-aged, rugged men. At the Last Supper, he addressed them, little children. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Paul, in his theological and polemical letter to the Galatians, likened, now this, ladies, this, you'll get this. In Galatians 4, he likened the agony of physical childbirth to the anguish, the spiritual torment of being a spiritual father. He said in Galatians 4, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. We're children. Spiritually, it doesn't matter how old we are physically. Spiritually, we're all children. John, a.k.a. the Apostle of Love, addresses his readers as little children seven times. And for the sake of time, I won't read them all, but... The very end, the very last verse of his first epistle says, Little children, guard yourself from idols. So knowing that we are little children, spiritually speaking, we must realize the need to use Scripture to train us in godly conduct and wisdom. Do not merely use the Scripture to find words of encouragement. Do not merely use the Scripture to find winning arguments. Do not merely use the Scripture to find out what has happened in the past or to find out what will happen. Keyword, merely. In part, a significant part, we must use the Scripture to train ourselves in behaving the way God expects. We also use it for teaching, for reproof, and correction. Those are the four ways that God intends us to use His Word. Those are the four ways Scripture alone is useful. Comprehensively useful. 
Now, for the time I have left, I need to go quick. The third proposition, the third propositional truth with regard to the nature of Scripture is this. The Scripture alone is sufficient. Scripture alone is sufficient, verse 17. It says, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, I could preach, and you would believe me, wouldn't you? I could preach an entire sermon on this, on this verse. <laughs> but I'm going to exercise some self-control this morning. To sum it up, Paul is saying that Scripture is totally and completely sufficient to meet all of your spiritual needs. The Scripture is totally and completely sufficient to meet all of your spiritual needs. Scripture is enough. Scripture is enough. Scripture is enough. Say it with me. Scripture is enough. Great job. So therefore, sola scriptura, scripture alone, should cancel out the human craving we all have for tradition to be our guide. We all have it. Because it's easy. It's easy, right? It's easy just to apply to ourselves and to others what we already know. Whether you're Catholic or Protestant, it's so easy to let tradition be enough. But not only is it not enough, it's misleading. We also need no extra biblical revelation, do we? We need no vision. We don't need no visions or dreams or signs to amplify or supplement what's been written, do we? We also need no sacrament, no ritual, no empty liturgy as a means of receiving God's grace. We don't need that, do we? We don't. Because Scripture is enough. Now, briefly, draw your attention to what Paul says in verse 17. The Scripture is adequate. This refers to persons who are complete, capable, and proficient in everything they are called to do. Not only is the Bible adequate, Paul goes one step further. And he says the Scripture equips us for every good work. You see that every? Not most. Not some, every good work. In the original, equipped means to furnish or to outfit completely. When I joined the army in 2003, one of the very first things that I experienced directly after getting off the bus and getting yelled at for the first time, standing onto those uh, painted footprints on the cement was to receive my initial issue. Before I even could begin training, my hair was shaved off. A mountain of paperwork had to be completed, and I had to be outfitted with uniforms, boots, and dog tags. 
after those items was issued, I was marched into the barracks where I saw 50 or so bunk beds lined up on each side in a big open room. Probably about twice the size of this room. And as I approached my bunk, I noticed right away that there were numerous kinds of military equipment to be inventoried, issued, and signed for. I was issued a shovel, a sleeping bag, three canteens, a rucksack, a poncho, and some waterproof gear that really isn't that waterproof, is it? Just to name a few. So I was encouraged because, look, cool, it's army stuff. But then I realized that Uncle Sam cares about me. Uncle Sam wanted me, as an American soldier, to be adequately outfitted to do my duty. In the same way, in a better way, God has outfitted you with the Scripture so that you can carry out your duty as a Christian soldier. Just as I was expected to take my rifle, my boots, my rucksack, and go off to war, God expects you to do the same with the Scripture. Nothing more. So I know it's hard, brothers and sisters. I know it's hard. It's hard for me too. It takes effort to find out what the Bible says, to interpret it correctly, and to apply it to a specific situation. And I know our hearts do not naturally want to trust and simply do what the Bible says. But Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is speaking to us this morning. And he's saying, the scripture is sufficient to solve your problems. It's sufficient for making important decisions. It's sufficient to equip you, outfit you, to live rightly in the present age. And most of all, what it reveals about sinful man and the need to be saved from the wrath to come is 100% sufficient. It's enough. So what you've learned today are three propositional truths about the nature of Scripture. And I think that's a pretty airtight argument to defend sola scriptura. The Scripture alone is God-breathed. The Scripture alone is comprehensively useful. The Scripture alone is sufficient. Men who claim that any other old or new source should be accepted as being from God is at best misled and confused. And at worst, a charlatan, a liar, and an antichrist. The creed sola scriptura is one of our mottos because we are dogmatically convinced that the Bible stands by itself above all human ideas and schemes. Bible alone, alone is the primary source for divine truth forever. 
And if you agree with that, you better be ready to defend it. You better be ready to stand your ground. And I also hope that you will join me in praying for the church. God's chosen beloved people around the world, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, God has his sheep. Many of those men and women and precious children are enslaved as we speak to human tradition, to paganism, to you name it. And if they are going to be rescued, what they need is the gospel that comes from Scripture alone. So on this 500th anniversary of the Reformation, when this truth was discovered, rediscovered, pray for the church to rekindle her commitment, her zeal and her passion to cry sola scriptura. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you so much for your word. We run out of vocabulary words to use to express our gratitude. We are limited in how we can express our gratitude. Father, may this message and may these words and this truth embolden us and encourage us and maybe even reprove us. Reprove us. Correct us. For any who who are here today who, who may be synchronizing tradition with Scripture, may you convict them. Correct them. Build them back up, Lord. For those who have lost the zeal for Scripture alone, Father, may you under may you help them understand that this doctrine is just as relevant now as it was five hundred years ago. Because there is an all out assault on the Scripture. Not by not just by Rome, but by many other denominations and religions around the world. May the Holy Scripture and the church's zeal for it be renewed. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.